When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Baltimore, another win, another step closer to the postseason. Finally getting some help from some other teams in the NFL. We will recap all of that and more this week. I'm Antonio Barbero, joined by my co-hosts, first and foremost, wearing, you guys can't see, the listener can't see, but wearing a stylish Ravens winter hat, is Tim Horsey. Tim, are, are you in the holiday spirit for, for Ravens wins? I mean, I'm feeling so festive, and it's not because Christmas just passed, it's not because it was a little bit of good family time, albeit socially distanced, none of that. It's because, as one of my favorite villains of all time said, dread it. Run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. And thanks to the Cleveland Browns continuing to be completely inept, the Ravens control said destiny. And I am so, so happy. And joining on the West Coast, uh, you can't see him either, but he's wearing a less uh, festive attire. He's going with the, uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but like the half Unabomber look, like he's got the hoodie. (laughs) He's got the hood out. Uh, it's very bright behind him, so maybe more of a vampire. I'll stick with that. Jace Evans. Jace, too bright in uh, in Los Angeles? What's going on? Yeah, it, it actually rained here last night. Now the sun's finally peeking out. Uh, yeah, what a Christmas gift from the Cleveland Browns to uh, to us, to Ravens fans, to the team. Uh, and also the Steelers a little bit. Uh, I thought for sure the Ravens were cursed after Saturday night. We'll get into that momentarily, but... 
Um, yesterday, uh, Sunday afternoon, the 1 p.m. games really could not have gone better for them. So it's nice to, as Tim said, have control of their playoff destiny. And uh, But most importantly, Ravens keep taking care of business on their end. So that's that's, that's the number one thing. But yeah, great, great weekend of football uh, to watch for the Ravens. I'm very excited. A month ago, the Ravens were 6-5 and five coming off of a three-game losing streak. But there was that light at the end of the tunnel with a series of very winnable games. If the Ravens took care of business, got players off the COVID list, got healthy, got on track, and they have now won four straight with their 27-13 win over the Giants. Ravens 10-5 and five in playoff position, finally, with some help from some other teams. But we're going to talk about this Giants game first. With a game that, I mean, we talked about this the last few weeks, may have been over after the first possession, after the second possession. Uh, Lamar having one of his better games of the season, but we'll start with the first quarter with the Ravens going on a 13-play, 82-yard, 8-minute and 12-second drive to score a touchdown. One of the best possessions of the Ravens' season, dare I say? to kick off a game, to end a game at any point in any game, to take a 7 nothing lead, eat up half of the quarter, and take absolute control of this game, force a 3-and-out, go on another 10-play drive for 65 yards, and the score was 14 nothing. the Ravens were rolling, and I think most of Ravensville, or at least the three of us, I think, leaned back a little bit in our, in our chairs and our sofas because it appeared to be another game that the Ravens were focused uh, and locked in against an inferior opponent. Guys, what did you think of that first quarter, first half for the Ravens taking care of business? Um, Probably, I don't know, maybe it's recency bias, but maybe the best the Ravens have looked on offense all year. The tempo was there, eating up chunks of yards, managing the clock well, um, especially against what we thought was a good defense, although they've kind of turned out to be frauds a little bit. Um, it was perfect. You know, the, even when Lamar was making, and this was throughout the game, you know, he was relatively accurate, but even when he was slightly off, guys making plays. Hollywood Brown had a nice catch where it was whipped over his head and he went up and snagged it. And it was like, a, a, you know, Hollywood has hands joke that everybody wanted to make on Twitter, but it was a great play. Mark Andrews had a couple where he stole the ball off of a defensive back. He had a great game. And then the run game was just incredibly strong. Whatever... Whatever teams figured out and whatever had gotten stale at early part of the season, midseason, obviously the, the bad run in November, has been cleaned up. Um, and, I, you know, it's been cleaned up at the perfect time. So I was thoroughly impressed. And by halftime, you pretty much felt, that's it. Let's, let's start scoreboard watching because we need a little bit of help. Yeah, that, that first quarter, I, perfect is, I think, the word. I mean, eight-minute drive, a 13-play, eight-minute drive to start your uh, to start the game when you get the ball. They they faced one third down out of all of those 13 plays on that drive, and it was a third and two. They were just so ahead of schedule, and as Tim said, just kind of dictating the pace, dictating the game with their plays um, and play calling and execution. It was sensational, and then, yeah, to... On defense, you get the three and out, you go on another 10-play drive, and that basically was the first quarter. The first quarter has, like I think, like 57 seconds left when the Ravens score <laughs> to go up 14 to nothing. So 
you really can't do better than that as an offense. That is exactly the script, especially against bad teams that you want to give no hope to. Two long drives, one three and out. I thought it... I'm always a little nervous with the Ravens. There were a few moments of... (laughs) I wasn't quite sure uh, how great they were playing, but that first quarter was about as good as I think they've looked all year. After those two touchdowns, the Giants then have, I mean, essentially another three and out. They have a five-play drive that ends in a punt. Ravens tack on a field goal with a 13-play drive. And then this is when there were a few minutes left in the half, and the color commentator was Brock Heward for this game. Legendary Colts backup quarterback, Brock Heward, talking about how the Giants absolutely needed points before halftime if they wanted to have any prayer. And they get a field goal, but left too much time on the clock. And the Ravens immediately go down the field and tack on a field goal of their own with a very nice two-minute drive, or a two-minute drill, I should say, to go into halftime... 20-3, to almost got a touchdown on that drive, uh, a play where Mark Andrews had his hands on it in the end zone, but didn't really have the greatest chance to to hang on to it. So it ends up 20-3 to at halftime. I mean, dare I say the game is over at halftime for me with a 20-3 to lead against a bad team, and then, you know, just an exchange of scores in the second half to make this a 27-13 final. So I want to hear what you guys think about Lamar in this game. He had one of his better games, one of his cleaner games, uh, no interceptions, a high completion percentage, great rushing numbers along with the other back. So thoughts on Lamar Jackson against a defense that we were scared of going into this week a little bit. Um, but, but Tim, as you have mentioned, maybe not as, uh, we should not have been as scared as, as we were seeing the result after this game. Right. You look at their, their that kind of win streak that they went on. Uh, it was a four-game win streak. Now it's been a three-game losing streak. But that four-game win streak, when everybody's like, oh, the defense is pretty legit, it was the football team, the Eagles, the Bengals, and then a win against the Seahawks, which we kind of solidified it. But outside of that, nothing really impressive there. I mean, Lamar is <laughs> – this team will go as Lamar goes. And I've heard a lot of – well, they're just beating up on bad teams again. Like, we'll see. I mean, everybody wanted to crown Cleveland division champions, but apparently that's a bad team now, which, who knows? We'll, we'll talk about them a little bit later. <laughs> it, it was weird, like, watching the game, and then you see the stat line at the bottom, or they put it up, you know, every so often going to commercial, whatever it was. I was surprised that he had as many incompletions as he did. Now, he only ended up with nine, but I, it, he was playing so well that it almost felt like he was hitting everything. Um, and then the run game stuff, I mean, you know, we're talking about just Lamar here. I want to get to the other backs in a second because uh, the bus in particular was incredible on Sunday. But I think the biggest thing, Antonio, you mentioned it. You nailed it. Zero interceptions. Zero sacks. There were even some times where he was getting pressured. And, you know, Leonard Williams and those guys were getting after him a little bit. And he was able to get out of trouble and make the good decision. You know, he he can hold on to the ball a little longer because of his escape ability. And he was actually able to escape, which is something that, you know, he hasn't been able to necessarily in some of these losses, but the key for me was the lack of turnovers. And, you know, we mentioned it right at the end of the the half going down the field, 10 plays, 65 yards in a minute or just over a minute, 68 seconds to kick a field goal. That is a situation that we've seen. And, Granted, they did, they've done it well recently, but earlier in the season, he's trying to force stuff and throws a bad pick. Uh, and, and we've seen that a number of times. Stupid interceptions, bad throws. I remember watching the game and remarking to myself, 
he had one I would categorize kind of egregious throw where it almost looked like it was going to nobody. Now, granted, that could be a receiver miscue. Who knows? But that one bad throw he had wasn't either, wasn't near a defender either. So it wasn't that costly type turnover. And that's going to be the key for him. Running the ball is great. And we'll talk about the running game in a second. But for me, I, I just was so impressed of how he took care of the football because that is going to be so, so crucial when he goes up against better defenses. God willing in January. Yeah, I, I they mentioned it a few times on the broadcast, but for me, and you definitely have seen this the last few weeks, certainly in the Cleveland game as well. But he, Lamar certainly seems in recent weeks to have returned a lot more to the form he showed throughout most of last season when he won the MVP, his MVP form, if you will. Um, he he just has looked a lot more decisive. I guess I I don't know if it's. What you mentioned, whatever they figured out with the run game, if that's just unlocked everything. But I think Lamar's looked great in recent weeks. Um, and like you said, Tim, the Ravens will go as far as he takes them. Uh, but it's obviously great to see him, uh, you know, playing his best, albeit against not outside of Cleveland, which again, are they a good team? It hasn't been the greatest run of teams here in this uh, four-game winning streak for the Ravens. But... You know, and I think this has kind of been a, a you know a feather in Lamar's cap and a kind of the hallmark of his career. The Ravens don't really have letdowns against bad teams, and so it was nice to see um, them take care of business here in this game against the Giants with you know a team coming in that statistically still had a decent defense. Um, so I've been really impressed with Lamar the last you know for basically since he comes off the COVID list. Um, I thought he's just looked better and better and. I agree with you. I thought his stats, his passing yards seemed lower than you expected for how well it seemed like he was playing. His completion seemed lower. Uh, but that's kind of just how it goes with Lamar. I think he creates so much with his legs that his passing numbers are always going to be a little less than you anticipate. But I thought this has been his best game uh, in, in a while, um, certainly, and probably the best of this winning streak. So he's playing great at the, at the time you need it most, so that's very promising for the Ravens. Overall, the Ravens end up with 35 minutes of possession in this game, 432 yards, 249 of them on the ground. So we will turn to the ground game now because it was one of the most fun 249 rushing yards that I've seen in, in, in some time from this Ravens team. Just bowling over defenders, three different guys um, with really nice rushing numbers. I don't even know... I mean, the impossible question is, which runner do you enjoy more? Do you like Gus Bus with the sort of straight line fluidity? Do you like the Lamar Jukes? Do you like J.K. Dobbins' speed and then power? It's just like, it's a beautiful triple combination of of rushing attackers. Uh, Can we continue this, guys? Is this the formula? Is it these three guys taking us to the promised land? Was the carry distribution... Uh, the sort of the formula, the answer here. What did you guys think of the running game this week? It's a hundred percent the formula. It's it's what is this? If this team is going to win a Super Bowl, this is what they're going to have to do. I mean, the time of possession stats are insane. We're even crazier in the first half before that fifteen play drive uh, that the Giants went on, thanks to Justice Hill just you know hitting a kicker right in the gooch, which makes no sense to me. But Gus Edwards for me. I know everybody loves JK. Everybody loves Lamar. I love watching Gus Edwards run. 
He is our Derrick Henry. And if you watch Derrick Henry on Sunday night, I, he looked way better than, than he did in the cold weather in, in a January-like setting, as it were. Um, and I, the thing I was impressed about with Gus, too, I mean, you talk about the straight line runs, but he was beating guys to the edge as well. They were running some counter plays for him where it's not just, you know, halfback dive for six yards, which is great. And he's really, really good at that. But the versatility that he showed on these type of runs and when he couldn't get to the corner because he was going up against a smaller, quicker defensive back, he was putting that guy in the ground, whether it was putting his head down or hitting him with a mean stiff arm. I thought Gus Edwards was incredibly impressive and Look, we've talked about Mark Ingram, uh, you know, another scratch again, and, and it's sad, but but moving past that a little bit, I know Gus is a restricted free agent. I think they're going to do everything they can, put a high tender on him to make sure that nobody picks that deal up because Dobbins, Lamar, and Edwards, that three-headed rushing attack is – it's fantastic. It reminds you a little bit of the McGahee, LaRon McLean, Ray Rice days when Ray Rice was a young running back – Except one of them is also your quarterback and, and an MVP in the league. which it, So it's, it's a little better version, but it's got that same vibe to it. And for me, I mean, you said take your pick. I'm picking the Gus bus all the way, and that is a guy I think they can lean on. Um, you know, a guy who – and here's the thing about the distribution. Sorry, just one quick point here. It was so even yesterday, and it's been relatively even, even throughout the season, and especially during this massive run they've gone on. Gus Edwards, 15 carries, 85 yards. Lamar, 13 carries, 80 yards. J.K. Dobbins, 11 carries, 77 yards. The only person who's upset about that is J.K.'s agent. Everybody else in the Ravens, <laughs> you know, fandom and, and the coaching staff and stuff is probably incredibly excited about that and the way they've kind of rested these guys while also being productive because you, you're going to need the legs in January. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I I love Dobbins. You know, some of those runs, he had two, one to the left side, one to the right side, where in the, the one he ran to the right side that he really took his one of his longest runs of the day, where he just, like, turned on the afterburners in the hole. That was very exciting to see, and something I don't think we've seen a ton of in, you know, Ravens and recent Ravens running backs. But to your point on Gus Edwards, uh, Tim, I thought this was one of the best games he's ever played as a Raven. Um just yards. You mentioned he seems to be getting outside more lately and, and even involved in the past game. He was actually the Ravens' second leading receiver in this game uh, with just a preposterous catch and run late uh, <laughs> uh, down the sideline. Um, that was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I thought Edwards was great. I just, the, the whole, the ru- running back situation, I think, is in a perfect place because we, we talked about it earlier this year with Mark Ingram. Sometimes less is more. And I think they have found this perfect three, three head, as you said, three headed kind of monster to run the ball, including Lamar. It was really fun. It was everything they did against what was a pretty stout giants run defense coming in. They just had their way with them. And, uh, you know, I think maybe Ben Powers at guard has helped, certainly, it seems, or at least has solidified. So it's not quite the musical chairs it once was. But uh, it certainly seems, especially in the run game, that they're peaking at the perfect time. So that's really exciting. Yeah, Jace, that's a great point, touching on the offensive line. You know, you didn't, nobody wants Ronnie Stanley to get hurt. That's not a, it was not a positive in any way, shape, or form that Ronnie Stanley is no longer the left tackle. 
but it did, I think, in a way, force the Ravens, it, like, forced their hand with their identity, because once they put Orlando Brown on the uh, on the left side as the left tackle and then had to shuffle some other guys within the line, they focused on who were the best run, uh, run blockers. Uh, we don't want the best five necessarily overall, but which five are going to open the most holes, are going to make the run game work, uh, and with that, they've then started to run the ball more, too, and, and put the priority back on that, which was not the priority in the first six to seven weeks of this season where we were going crazy with so many first down passes for a team that we wanted to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball successfully. So I do agree with you. I think they've really found uh, the, the the right five or six or seven because they love, they love loading the line. <laughs> I can't tell – you guys must have heard the, the like 12 different times that we heard about which – lineman was eligible in that game uh additional offensive lineman was eligible so they love putting other guys out there but they seem to have found the five that are going to really help the run game and i'm okay with that that's what i want for this team based on the makeup that they have defensively uh Real quickly, Antonio, sorry, just a quick thing on that because we should mention the offensive line. There's a lot to get into with the defense. So I just want to mention it here. Patrick McCarry going out with the back injury. Uh, they've said after the game they're not really sure how, you know, it says it's, it's they don't know how serious it is at the moment. Um, you know, at time of recording, we haven't heard from John Harbaugh in his Monday press conference, so maybe we get a little more information there. But that would be a big loss because uh, the other center on the team – can't snap the ball yeah frustrating to say the least when on like the third snap his third snap of the game was a bad snap as the announcers were talking about his snap (laughs) issues and jace i think it was jace immediately texting the group saying i didn't know centers could get the yips because that is what it looks like and it's a problem and please makari be healthy or get healthy in time for the postseason um but all right yeah let's turn defensively now Another, I hate to call Jace out here, but it was really just poor timing for Jace because he wasn't wrong necessarily. But at a certain point in this game, he texts the thread complaining about the Ravens' pass rush and inability to get to the quarterback, which was a problem in the first half of this game. And then they proceeded to sack Daniel Jones on three straight plays and ended the game with six sacks, seven tackles for loss. So the stats look good at the end of the game, Jace but there may still be some underlying issues with this pass rush. But what did you think of them defensively uh, against the Giants? Yeah, I I think for me, the whole thing with defense in 2020 is just to ha- I have I have yet to reset my brain for what defensive expectations can be or should be. Um, because I think the rules are just so skewed against offenses now that like, I leave this game where, by all accounts, you know, the Ravens give up 269 yards while gaining 432. That's great. <laughs> they, uh, in, uh, what else? They uh, they hold the Giants. Uh, one Giants were one for 10 on third down in this game and just one for three on fourth down. And yet there's still times where, like, it seems like they were moving the ball fairly easily. Daniel Jones, you know, that he had, he wasn't running a ton. He's been banged up a lot. Um, but he, to his credit, he stood in there, took some shots and made some decent throws. I thought, but I think teams are just going to move the ball in 2020. And for me, the, what the expectations for defense has to be is 
pretty it's almost simplifying it it's just how many points do you give up <laughs> and do you allow third down conversions because teams are going to move the ball in 2020 so i have to just like accept that and be like it's okay they only gave up 13 points <laughs> um, you know they were never i as i said once they went up 14 nothing i never especially felt the ravens were in danger of losing this game i guess the only frustration for me as it pertains to the defense, and it's not, this isn't even really a totally a defensive thing, but it just seemed like the amount the Ravens dominated this game, the score was actually closer <laughs> than I felt like it probably should have been just through, I don't know, like Tim mentioned Justice Hill, but the, the three straight sacks after they scored to go up 27 to six, three straight sacks immediately roughing the rough the punter on that punt they give up a td on that series i was just very very incredibly frustrated by that sequence of events because that should that was midway through the fourth that should have been we get the ball back and probably see tyler huntley honestly like the point we were at and instead the giants immediately of course immediately score a touchdown on that drive uh, and then you're like, oh my God, are they going to score? We're going to have to recover it onside. They're not going to cover this game. It's going to be way more stressful than it needs to be. But they got it together. And I think to their credit, maybe for a confidence booster, I, I was pleased they got the two fourth down stops in a row late in the game uh, to just make sure that there was no chance of funny business. There was no chance of something stupid happening. They just ended the game with two great stops. And so... That's my spiel on the, the defense this week. It wasn't necessarily what's bothering Jace. It's just I have to do some reflecting on me, what I think good defense is, et cetera, et cetera. It was a very solid game. Probably, you know, it's not going to go in the Ravens, like, Hall of Fame of defensive performances. But I, th- I think they are playing well. They're, they're good defense. Are they great? Is any defense great these days? It's hard to say. So that's that's where I'm at, I think, with this team. Yeah, Jace, I think you you nail it. I've I feel like we were just so spoiled and the game has just changed so much that I want to believe that like when a running back rushes for five yards, I'm like, what are you doing? And it's like that's actually not always the worst thing. Um so so good on you to take the introspective look and look at yourself and how you need to improve rather than just screaming at the television like I like to do most of the time. Um because yeah. By today's NFL standards, and people keep talking about how good this defense is, and I just can't wrap my brain around it yet, but that's probably just an us problem. Um, on the defense, again, their play at the Giants' offense is just horrific. I mean, they are so bad, and Daniel Jones I don't think is the answer, and hopefully this, for Giants fans anyway, hopefully this kind of run of bad form to end the season and virtually knock them out of a playoff spot, although I think they still have a slight chance here going into the final weekend. Um, hopefully that means that they're going to change some stuff up. Uh, Antonio, I don't want to steal your point because I know pre-production we talked about this a little bit, but I, but maybe just to tee you up. I can't remember the last time the Ravens had like a multiple turnover game. And maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just missing one and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but we went on that streak uh, early in the season, like the Bengals game. Uh, the Washington, the Washington football team game, the game against the Colts with the big Chuck Clark run where there were these game breaking plays, I guess is a better way to put it. Game breaking plays, the Texans game as well early in the year uh, from the defense. 
and we're just not getting that now, and that's a bit of a concern. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> that it's the Marcus Peters issue. It's the Marcus Peters injury because he is the ball hawk on this team, and he's been out the last few weeks. I pray just getting healthy for the postseason. That's what I want this whole situation to be. But it has been funny because they've played games. They've dropped 34, 47, 40, and 27 points against these bad teams. But it hasn't really been sort of the disastrous turnover games from any of their opponents. I'm I'm looking through the games now. It looks like in the Jaguars game, there was one turnover that the Jags gave up. In the Browns game, uh, there was one turnover but that may have been the like the fumble ba- on the last play of the game, or was there another turnover there? Uh, Baker did throw a pick in that one. That uh, to Tyus to Bowser, Bowser that was right. actually that that was a bit, right. pretty big play. But that, right. but yeah, then, certainly uh, from the secondary, there hasn't been <laughs> much lately. <laughs> right, and then only one turnover against Dallas. So I don't know, Tim, because I I agree with you. I, it seems like they've been less aggressive less playmaking but maybe you know a turnover a game isn't really the worst the worst thing that a defense can do and this is us looking just expecting great things from this defense again uh don't in like i'm paraphrasing ed reed here but don't just intercept the ball take it to the house you know that's the that's the (laughs) expectation that we have with these years of amazing defenses but jace is right this is the the new era if you can keep teams between the 20s, you know, let them gain yards between the 20s. And that's what happened a lot in this Giants game, especially in the second half. Uh, Daniel Jones had some yards, had some completions for like 10, 15, 20 yards, but then just lock up in the red zone once things really, you know, get a little bit more congested maybe and not as stretched out on the field and see how many points you give up at the end of the game. So I, I, I've been impressed in, in that regard. Um, and I, I think that's how defenses have to live nowadays. And um, that just reminds me of a stat. My like fun stat of this weekend was Lamar Jackson never having thrown an interception in the red zone, which seems impossible to me. But he has like 35 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the 45. red zone. 45. 45 in his yeah. career. So that's the antidote, right? That's why he's been a good quarterback over the last few years. Once you get to the red zone, don't turn the ball over and just cash in on points. So... I want Marcus Peters to come back, and I want more turnovers, but I'm probably just spoiled in that sense. Uh, Guys, last thoughts on the defense, and then any other intangible-type things that you want to talk about from this game? I only have one thing. Um, You know, the defense... (laughs) Six sacks is amazing, but let's just hope that at some point uh, we can do that against a team with a decent offensive line. So, Mm -hmm. you know, again... Got to beat who's in front of you. I'm not taking this whole, well, it's the Ravens just beating up on bad teams again, shtick that a lot of people want to put out there. But let's see if it translates. Uh, you know, Yannick Ngakwe and Matt Judon maybe getting a little more involved when it really matters. And then the Ravens had 10 penalties in this game. And I am the founding member of why in the hell would anybody be a referee and they're the worst people on earth coalition. <laughs> but I thought John Hussey and his crew were pretty, pretty good. Uh, yesterday and you know for the amount that our fan base I, I, I shouldn't just say Baltimore's fan base but fan bases in general like bashing referees and constantly calling them out for how bad they are and most of them are piss poor and the, and the quality of it is usually pretty bad I thought his crew was pretty good um, the Marlon Humphrey pass interference that they had the they swallowed their pride and picked it back up 
There was an OPI penalty on the Giants that was clearly OPI, but I just feel like that doesn't get called nowadays, as Jace mentioned before, with offensive players always getting the advantage in those things that was called. Um, the defensive offside on Matt Judon was was horrendous. That was never an offside penalty. But outside of that, if you're only having one of those really, really bad ones a day, I think that's a pretty good day from a refereeing crew. So just just a quick shout-out to John Hussey and his crew. And, you know, maybe we get them later down the road, <laughs> and maybe this isn't completely jinxing that they just completely screw us in, an, in, in a very, very important game uh, in, in, you know, like I said before, God willing, January. Well, one thing I will say about John Hussey's crew is whoever is in charge of watching the game clock is on top of things because the Ravens took multiple delay game penalties in this one, including one, uh, I kind of mentioned the only thing that kind of disappointed me, I guess, in this game is it should have been a bigger blowout. And part of that was they lost three points when they kick a 51 yard field goal. Justin Tucker drills it, delay a game before the snap, and then... Harbaugh elected not to try the 56-yarder, which kind of surprised me a little bit, but they lost three points there. Then uh, they had another uh, delay game on offense. And then just the late game fumble. Uh, Antonio, I know it's been a a wish of yours to have the no-fumble game, and the Ravens were so close. (laughs) They're so close, but right at the very end, um, a uh, kind of botched exchange between... Lamar and the Gus bus, really the Gus bus is the only blemish really for either of those guys, I'd say on the day, but right on the shadow of the goal line. But, uh, so that was just mildly frustrating just cause you're like, all right, three touchdown win. And now you're playing defense again, only up two touchdowns. <laughs> so, uh, that was a little, that was annoying, but it wasn't, it ultimately didn't, you know, change the course of the game, but we were, we were so close to the fumble free game. Yeah. <laughs> The just to go back quickly, the Tucker field goal attempt, the 56 yard attempt not happening, like enraged me for a second at the time because I wanted Tucker to blast another 55 plus yard field goal. And then I realized the thought process there has to be for Harbaugh like these three points are not as valuable as watching this Giants offense try to go 90 yards down the field to score a touch. Like that is not going to happen. So might, might as well punt him deep. So I felt a little better about that decision rather than giving them a potential uh, excellent field goal position to start. And as for the fumble-free game, I'm sad. We have one more <laughs> week to try it. It's in my game notes for next week's game where this is really the only thing I need to see outside of a win is can they get 60 minutes without fumbling the football because that will be a disaster if it happens once in the postseason. So got to clean that up. Um and and I I I hope it happens. I hope they get one clean game and then can build off of that. Uh, all right, let's move on now to the rest of the NFL because we have to recap quickly a few games and we got to talk about what the playoff scenarios look like in the AFC and NFC as we enter Week 17. So let's quickly talk about the AFC North teams here because boy was it a Sunday with all three of these games happening at the same time. Browns lose to the Jets. I tried, I, I, I reverse, unreverse, re-reverse jinxed them uh, in the last episode by saying since the Jets had already lost, now they couldn't, or since the Jets, excuse me, had already won, they wouldn't win another game. But they did. They did win another game against <laughs> the around. Cleveland Browns. Browns Brownsing so hard, but they did play without any of their wide receivers, which is an issue. Uh, and then the Steelers, who at one point were down... Uh, I want to say 24 to seven 
end up winning and coming back in their game and winning 24 to 28. Uh, roller coaster of, of a one o'clock Sunday, guys. So thoughts on the two AFC North uh, opponents' games, I should say, with the with the Browns and Steelers. I mean, it's just hilarious. <laughs> like you have to be kidding me, Browns. You're scoreboard watching the entire time, right? And you're like, okay, yeah, this is funny. And I was with a couple people watching the game, and they were doing the like. Why are you enjoying this so much? You know Cleveland's going to come back, right? And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm getting all the laughs out now because I want to enjoy this until they figure it out. You know, they they had a couple receivers out due to COVID. They still have a talented roster. They still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, who got the ball a total of 15 times in this game. Baker Mayfield throws the ball 53 times against the Jets. They were never astronomically down in this game with a little time left. I think the biggest score was 20-3 to right at the start of the second half. So you have plenty of time to run the ball down their throat. And Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield and the ineptitude that is the Cleveland Browns decides not to do that and hilariously lose to a Jets team who now, I mean, their fans have to be furious. Because they, I don't think they're even locked into the second no, pick at this point. Uh, well, uh, the Bengals did win, so I, th- I think the Jets are locked into two, but they have ceded control of number one. The Jags will be picking first, <laughs> right? So, I mean, you know, I'll leave the Steelers to you, Jace, if you want, um, and we and I can kind of hop back on, give it, and Antonio will have his take, and if you want to add to this Browns thing, but it's just so stupid. Like, and, and I know we kind of all have the same thought here, but. You guys are out with COVID, right? There's reports that they're in the parking lot or the parking garage of the Marriott where they were staying, and Baker was kind of running a a mini practice with his new receivers to try and get things going. Why do you throw the ball 53 times if that's the situation you're in, in a game you have to win when you have one of the league's best running attacks? This... When the Browns were rising to prominence this season, the, the whole thing that we talked about was, man... That two-headed force at running back. They're they're getting in these bad weather games, and they're just running the ball. They're not letting Baker throw it. This is the key to success for this team. And they completely abandoned it. Now, as we'll get into here, it was really funny for a second because it was almost the Browns being that team that was out, the bubble team that was out of the playoff picture at the moment. They're still winning in against Pittsburgh, but... My God, how do you lose to the Jets in that situation? <laughs> it, for me, what you nailed it, Tim. Just They rush for a season-low 45 yards when they're missing all their wide receivers. And like you said, they didn't really even attempt to run that much. It was a baffling game plan from top to bottom. They, they clearly, Kevin Stefanski clearly panicked in this game, and they just started chucking the ball constantly. Um Two, well, the only other thing I want to say is the very end of this game was very funny with Baker Mayfield fumbling a fourth and one QB sneak to end the game. Um, that was very funny. Uh, I laughed about it. I couldn't believe it. Uh, we had Kevin Harlan on the call, so that was great as well uh, in that game. But uh, to circle to the Steelers, since I don't really have any, you nailed it. I don't have anything else really to say about the Browns. They've Browns it up. Uh, 
the Steelers game left me very conflicted emotionally. I flipped it on. I was not aware the comeback had happened. I had had my eyes mostly glued um, while I was watching the Ravens game. It seemed like they just cut in and showed updates to the Browns a lot more, I think, because, um, you know, the Steelers kind of came back all at once versus the Browns game was kind of a slow a slow trickle of, oh, the Jets are up 13-3. to The Jets are now up 20-3 to kind of thing. But the Steelers, I did not even know, were in the lead until I turned on red zone following the Ravens game. Uh, and then I was faced in the moral uh, with the moral conundrum of briefly rooting for the Pittsburgh Steelers to make a defensive stop. And I didn't like that at all. I felt sick inside. It felt wrong. It felt dirty. Uh, but the Steelers did get the stop after they made the big comeback. And... That's great news for the Ravens. It really gives them a lot of wiggle room. Um, so I was, I was briefly. I'm not. I'm never happy to see the Steelers clinch the AFC North. And if they had, given that I knew the Browns had already lost, if the Steelers had, uh, you know, gone ahead and blown that to the Colts, I wouldn't have been upset necessarily. <laughs> even though it would have hurt the Ravens a little more, because uh, I never hate seeing the Steelers lose. But yeah, I mean, it was a good comeback by them. They obviously had lost three straight games. So Steelers are your AFC North champs. The Browns officially cannot win the North. Um, But I didn't like it. But if I was going to root for the Steelers, this was about the only appropriate uh, circumstance to. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, nice for Pittsburgh to actually help Baltimore out for a change. I feel like this never happens. So, yeah. as we said, it kind of went between those two games about as good as the Ravens could have hoped. The only thing I'll add for this Browns thing, I mean, that was a rookie coach uh, being a rookie coach and not sort of trusting what has worked for him all season with those rushing numbers. And then on sort of your last play of the game for the Browns is a fourth and inches, fourth and one, whatever you want to call it. that's the must-have play. You need to turn to your absolute best one-yard play that you have, and I cannot believe that it's not giving the ball to Chubb or Hunt on a fourth and one. You cannot tell me that Nick Chubb is not breaking seven tackles to get one yard because he's done that all season. And (laughs) I just it seems like a rookie coach looking at the rushing numbers of that game and being afraid of them and trying to do the QB sneak with a quarterback who fumbles all the time, had already fumbled in that game. Twice. <laughs> and to just that get, point. <laughs> it's, it's just, it seems like you need to go to what is your best, best option to get a yard, and I just don't think he did that. I don't think he went to his second best option to get a yard, and they deserve to lose, and you stink, Browns, and now you're, you know, you need to win a tough game to get into the postseason. As for the Steelers, quickly... I'm, yeah, Steel, uh, Jace, you're happy they won because of what that result means. I am a little bit scared that this has awoken the sleeping giant that is Roethlisberger's deep ball because he was forced into it and connected several times in the second half of this game with some awesome throws to receivers who sometimes were not even that open. He, had, he like, threaded the needle uh, to Eric Ebron at a certain point and then had some other deep touchdown passes. So I just, the Steelers were so bad for a few weeks there and in the first half of this game. And I just, I hope that they just revert back to that as they enter the postseason and not sort of have Roethlisberger have figured some things out with, with his touch and with his deep passes. But elsewhere, 
in the NFL. We want to turn to the rest of the playoff pictures. Saints, I mean, I should say the Alvin Kamaras uh, winning their <laughs> game. They're still fighting for the number one seed in the NFC against the Green Bay Packers. Both of those teams looking really, really good as they approach the postseason. Uh, Green Bay likely to hang on to the number one seed considering they play uh, the Browns and or the Bears, excuse me, in week 17. I'll let you guys talk about the NFC as well if you want with those two teams. But just quickly, the other game of note that we wanted to talk about is the Miami Dolphins oh, uh, <laughs> Sunday night Fitzmagic win uh, against the just typical Las Vegas Raiders in a game that the Ravens were just watching and hoping that Miami would lose and, and open up the door for the Ravens. But Tua out, Fitzmagic in, and, and the magic happens with some of the uh, most unbelievable last quarter plays uh, really on both sides and then <laughs> yeah. Miami coming out with Miami coming out with the last second win that they had no business uh, earning and giving temporary sort of playoff stress for for Baltimore fans but I'll, I'll turn to you guys now with your notes on the NFC including this or excuse me on the Packers and Saints in the NFC as well as this Miami game and does Fitzpatrick take the reins now does Tua have to sort of go back to the clipboard and and watch the ageless wonder try to take this team to the postseason this game was wild uh I I was like I could not believe they benched Tua in the moment I was like what are they doing I was like Fitzpatrick and of course Ryan Fitzpatrick steps in Tua Tua wasn't like he was he wasn't doing much, but he was 17 for 22 with 94 yards with the touchdown. Didn't have any turnovers, but they just weren't doing much. They put Fitz in. He goes nine for 13 for 182 with a touchdown. <laughs> and as you said, just some preposterous throws. Um, there was one, two, three, four, five different scores in the last four minutes of this game. <laughs> it was just exchanging exchanging points. Uh, you know, Carr has a, some nice plays, but um, I truly did think for a second the Ravens were cursed. The, 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 um, the Raiders elect for the field goal, but in a situation where, you know, they can't run the entire time off the clock so the the dolphins do get the ball back with 19 seconds even though could the raiders have attempted a touchdown they could have but they didn't but uh the dolphins they uh they do get the ball back with 19 seconds to go down two points down 25 23 and fitzpatrick throws a pass that i saw i read a story that i believe next gen stats put it about a 10 percent chance of completing uh, <laughs> one of the least likely completions. One of the they said one of the three least likely completions of the year. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's pass to Mac Hollins while he's having his helmet ripped from his head, basically. Uh, just an egregious face mask. They hit that for thirty-four yards. Tack on the fifteen with one of the most blatant face masks you'll ever see. They are already in field goal range. <laughs> and on one play, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this. This couldn't have gone worse. I was I was heartbroken, as I said. I thought the Ravens uh, for sure were cursed after that finish of like, and I love Fitzmagic, but that was definitely the most Fitzmagic has ever like personally affected my life. I was like the Raiders. The Raiders had that game. I can't believe they lost that game. Uh, as for I guess action just elsewhere to touch on it. Alvin Kamara tied a ninety-one year old NFL record 
uh, with six rushing touchdowns against the Vikings. That seems good. Uh, as you said, the Saints still in the mix. It, I I do think the Packers are going to take it. The Seahawks actually can are still in alive for the number one seed as well. So nothing's set in the, uh, the NFC. Um, but uh, the Packers, I thought, looked damn impressive in the snow there at Lambeau Field Sunday night. Kind of a statement. There was a lot of, you know, talk about how much better the AFC is than the NFC, I think, in recent weeks. And uh, kind of putting the Titans in their place, uh, how soundly they did. I think at least at least a, a message that the Packers are for real. I think they've overcome some of the things like the blowout loss to the Bucks they had and some other hiccups they've had here and there. Their loss to the Vikings. Um so I was really impressed with the Packers. I think they're going to get the one seed. Um, we should mention the Chiefs have officially locked up the number one seed in the AFC. It looked like they were trending that way for a while. But, uh, yeah, just of all the other NFL action, that Dolphins-Raiders game was something else. But I'm glad our the Browns came through for us, the Steelers came through for us, and uh, uh, that the Ravens didn't have to worry about it Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, you, you nailed pretty much everything. I'll just say quickly on that Dolphins-Raiders game, because in the moment, I was incensed. Thank the Lord I never have to cheer for that pathetic franchise ever again in the Las Vegas Raiders, who are paying John Gruden about $99 million too many to coach that team, which <laughs> just is absurd. Um, how, you not take, how you don't take the touchdown there after your Raiders kicker had already missed two field goals and an extra point to go up what it would have been five or six to the point where the uh, to the Dolphins would have had to score a touchdown and would have had maybe 25 more seconds on the clock uh, compared to what they already had, what it was 19 seconds left to get the field goal with a defense that you know is atrocious as well. So make them march a little bit farther than they would have to to kick a field goal to win. It was just ridiculous. In terms of Miami, Tua has not looked that good. I mean, you, you, you said the stats for... Uh, for Fitzpatrick, he threw 180 yards on nine attempts or whatever. Tua had 94 yards and 17 attempts. Fitzpatrick doubled him up in in about 10 minutes of game time, which is just absolutely insane. Apparently, Tua is starting again. Can you do the whole like have a closer like they do in baseball with pitchers? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work. And honestly, that makes me. As somebody who's on this podcast has said how much I like Brian Flores and, and how well coached this team is, that decision seems kind of maddening to me. And I don't know how you don't start Fitzpatrick in Week 17 against the Bills, who will have something to play for uh, coming up here. Um, and then you've kind of nailed everything here, Jace, in terms of the rest of the the picture here. I'll just say, you know, the Packers looked incredibly impressive on Sunday Night Football. The Titans are kind of just eh. You know, it's weird. Like, they play us. They look like world beaters. They play anybody else. They just kind of look like crap, which is very annoying. But I think the bottom of these races shows that the AFC is vastly more dominant. Um, When you look at the Ravens, Browns, Dolphins, Colts in that mix, and then the mix for the NFC final spots is the Bears, who, like... (laughs) I can't believe they're in contention. Sure. (laughs) I mean, winning they're in. Bears winning they're in. They beat the Packers there in the playoffs. The Cardinals, who have one of the worst coaches in the NFL right now, and it just sometimes look electric on offense and sometimes just completely fail to show up, and that kind of is predicated on whether or not DeAndre Hopkins is going off that day or not. 
Um, and then the Rams, who just lost Jared Goff, and most likely he's going to try and play, reportedly, in this uh, must-win game for them against the Cardinals, but had to pop in his own thumb again after hitting it on a helmet, which, as you can't see, Antonio was shaking his head like, nope, never want to think about that I'm again. I'm not doing right. that. There's no chance I could do that to myself. There's no chance. Right. <laughs> right. That kind of like the bottom of the races there shows me that the AFC is just is is so so much more dominant. And then quickly, um, I do we do need to talk about the NFC beast. But before we do that, we should mention: look, the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. You have to go through the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. But one of these days, they are not going to wake up in time. You know, this is not an original point. A lot of people have pointed this out. But a 17-14 game against the Falcons where they're running these weird fourth down calls with, you know, Mahomes sprinting out to the left as a receiver and you're trying to throw it to him and just trying to get cute in all these weird ways. There's one of these times where it's going to screw them over. And God willing, it's in the playoffs and it's either against us or it's against another team so we don't have to face them because they are still far and away the best team in the National Football League. But there's something wrong there. Uh, with Kansas City, and they are not clicking on all cylinders. Now, granted, they kind of did this last year, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl, so maybe you take it with a grain of salt. But a, I, look, if I'm a Kansas City fan, they don't really have a ton to worry about. They're 14-1, and one, yada, 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 but it is a bit concerning, I'd say. They've won, I believe, a record, I think it's seven straight games by one possession, uh, which does not, as you said, Tim, seem especially sustainable come playoff time, or as at least cause for concern that you're not putting separation between sides, especially some of the bad teams that your Broncos, your, I mean, the Falcons are a bad team. How they only score 17 points against this Falcons team. That's very strange. But yeah, uh, as you said, they have a, a bye and probably will take this week off too. So they, they have some time to figure it out. Uh, yeah, and that can that Atlanta Kansas City game was a thirty nine yard field goal miss from going into overtime in a game that they were still competing. They they look strange. I don't have all of the numbers in front of me, but they're a uh, a fourteen and one team that is seven and eight against the spread this season. I would love to see the spread numbers. <laughs> who has had worse spread numbers with such a dominant win loss record? But seven and eight. I, I was really surprised to see that, but Tim, I, I think it's possible. Yeah, it, I, I really agree with you there that they don't wake up fast enough. We watched this team fall behind 24, 24 to nothing in a playoff game last year that they somehow like eliminated that deficit and seemingly they a won quarter. by twenty. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know you can't keep. I realized that was last year, but you, you they can get caught. They can get caught. And one of those games, the, the field goal kicker will not miss the 39-yarder. Um, and, and, you know, you run out of lives at a certain point. Even cats only have nine lives. <laughs> I don't know how many lives Chiefs have. But, all right, I'm going to run through some playoff scenarios now. I want my co-hosts to take out their crystal balls. And I'm going to go through the AFC first. And I'm going to read through the four playoff scenarios for all the different teams that are trying to grab wildcard spots. And then I turn to my co-hosts. And I want them to tell, predict the future, just nice and simple, and and offer who you think will go in, who you think won't go in, and just sort of loose predictions on these scenarios. So, in the AFC, the Browns and the Dolphins need to win to guarantee their spot. They are win and in. 
the Colts need to win and have one of these bubble teams lose between uh, the Ravens, Browns, Dolphins, uh, and I think the Titans as well. If the Titans lose, I think the Colts will end up winning the, winning the division, so they would go in. The only situation where the Titans do not go to the playoffs, because I am still praying that this team does not go to the playoffs because <laughs> I do not want Derrick Henry in January, but the only situation where the Titans do not go is if every bubble team wins of these teams that I mentioned and the Titans lose to Houston. Houston, which has looked frisky in, in, in some of these games against uh, better opposition. I, I exclude this past Sunday's game. But <laughs> they have looked tough against some teams, so they would have to beat the Titans, and every bubble team would have to win. And then the final AFC scenario that I'm going to knock audibly on wood before I say this, but if the Ravens lose and either the Colts or the Browns lose, the Ravens will still go to the postseason with a 10-6 and record. So I turn to you guys now. Uh, let's start with Tim. Who do you see in? Who do you see out? What situations do you see unfolding in uh, Week 17? I'm going to go bold here. Um, I'm going to go bold. Let's go with the bubble teams. Get it out of the way now. The Ravens beat the Bengals. They're in. I think the Browns beat a Steelers team because at the moment, I think the Steelers are probably going to rest, guys. I think they're going to make it way too close. I think it's going to be a nail-biter, but somehow the Browns figure out a way to pull it out and know this is not me jinxing them. So the Browns are through. I think the Colts are beating the Jaguars to keep their hopes alive. I think the Bills beat the Dolphins which means that the Colts go through because the Bills are still fighting for that two seed. I don't know if that means as much to Pittsburgh with them resting, guys. I know that's kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think it's more important to the Bills to kind of stay on that two side. They don't need the rest as much. They want to keep rolling. The Steelers are banged up, and they just they haven't had a bye week in a while, if you haven't heard, because they keep complaining about it. So Colts win, Browns win, Bills win, and Texans beat the Titans Ooh. because that game is close. Now, because of the Bills winning, the Titans would still be in. But I believe that means the Colts would win the division. The Titans would go down to a wild card spot with the Browns and Ravens and the Dolphins and their two quarterbacks are gone. That is what I'm thinking. Now. I was about to say I pretty much aligned with Tim and then he threw that Titans curveball at me. I was not expecting. Uh, I do think they will win the Titans. Um the uh the impassioned plea jj watt gave to his teammates sunday to just care did not scream to me as a team that is a hundred percent locked in um so i do think the titans win that game i think they were they're not as bad as what they looked on sunday night i think the packers just put had a really impressive performance up there in the cold i read aaron Rodgers is like 19-4 against winning teams at lambeau field when the temperature is below freezing so he's just got something cooking up there when it's cold but uh i agree with you on the dolphins tim i think we mentioned Tua, it's been interesting. So I think it's not necessarily the wrong decision to go with Tua. He uh, he's significantly safer with the ball than Ryan Fitzpatrick, which seems to be what Flores wants more than anything, and why Fitzpatrick's not the starter. 
that being said, for whatever reason, Fitzpatrick does make more happen, both good and bad. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it was mentioned in a, uh, I was reading a piece on the ringer. It, it was brought up that, uh, the last time they benched Tua for Fitzpatrick, uh, Fitz threw an interception in the end zone to lose a game against the Broncos. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I, I see the sense in going with Tua, but I just think kind of more of what it comes down to, other than that being a big position to put him in, is just the Bills are a damn good team. And I think, like you said, I think they'll still be fighting for that number, that two seed. Uh, I believe the uh, New York is at least considering allowing some of Bills Mafia to attend a playoff game there. Uh, is at least what I uh, was in the talks. So we'll see if it has. It'll be a very small amount if it does. But... Um, I, th- I think the Bills are just really good. And so I think the Dolphins are in for a long day. It's going to, I can't imagine it's going to be nice weather January 3rd <laughs> in Buffalo, New York. Um, so uh, I think, I think, I do think the Dolphins lose that. And uh, similarly, I think the Browns do end up beating the Steelers just because I don't think either team's played particularly great of late, but the Steelers it definitely seems more. The Steelers had like 32 yards at halftime against the Colts. <laughs> I think that game was more of the Colts undoing than necessarily, you know, Roethlisberger did look good on deep balls, but, um, so I do think the Browns win. I think, uh, the Colts win and get in because of the Dolphins losing. I believe that's Dolphins would be knocked out, right? If everyone else wins. So that's the scenario I'm going with. I, I, I do think the Browns finally snap their playoff drought. I think the Colts find a way to sneak in. And uh, I think the Titans lock up the, the AFC South. And most importantly, your Baltimore Ravens cruise, famous last words, into the playoffs. <laughs> Furiously knocking on wood here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to like split in between you guys with, with one of the picks here. And I just... It's the Browns game, man. Uh, I look at teams late in the year. Do it. And I just think, like, this is what I said about the Raiders a few weeks ago. What have, what, at the time, I said, what have the Raiders shown me every season when the going gets tough is that they pack their bags and they move to Vegas and they hit the slot machines and they do not win those games. They're not, a like, a proven, tested December team. Which team is even worse than that, than the Raiders? That's the Cleveland Browns. They haven't been here before. They haven't done it since the three of us were, I don't know, diapers on tricycles? Like, what, what, what age was were they even, like, a, a half-respectable franchise? They choked in a game that they had to have against a terrible team. And by they... I really mean the quarterback. <laughs> yes, and the coaching staff, I guess I should say. Yes, they didn't have their wide receivers. We talked about that game. They still had talent. They still had the running backs. They still had all their tight ends all over the place. And they blew the easy one. They now have to play the hard one with all the pressure in the world. The Steelers, I don't understand the rest. I guess, look, if we're recording this on a Monday. If by Friday it comes out that Roethlisberger is not playing, yes, this changes things. Or if Roethlisberger plays a quarter, yes, this changes things. But if they are playing starters at game time, I do not think the Browns beat Pittsburgh. They have never beaten Pittsburgh in games that have even half of a significance of any sort. They got blown (laughs) out by the Steelers earlier in the season. It's just a team that has the Browns' number... And I don't see it happening in, in a game that they have to have. So 
I have the Dolphins losing to the Bills and still going to the postseason in the seventh seed. I have the Steelers beating the Browns, assuming that their starters play. I have the AFC South teams both taking care of business. I have Titans and Colts winning their games. Um, Ravens winning, of course. And that's it. And Browns are out. And, uh... And the Ravens, sadly, have to go into Tennessee in a first-round playoff game. And all my nightmares are realized because oh, that's, what I think, that's what I think it's looking like. But That would make me so sad. <laughs> let's turn now to the NFC where there's not quite as much going on. There are fewer teams. It's basically three teams. Uh, and this is not the – I'm not even talking about the NFC East yet. We're talking about the wild card spots where we really have three teams – fighting for two spots um, with the Bears, the Rams, and the Cardinals. The Bears controlling their own destiny. If they win against the Packers, the Cards versus Rams winner takes the last spot. That is going to be an awesome head-to-head matchup in Week 17. If Green Bay beats the Bears, which I think all three of us would assume at this point, the Rams are automatically in the postseason, and the Bears will be out unless... The Cardinals lose to the Rams. So that's how that works. The Cardinals will still have to win their Rams game to get in. If the Rams win and the Bears lose, the Bears will still go out or go into the postseason with the Cardinals out. So I turn to you guys now for the NFC wildcard spots. Which teams do you see go? We can take this one step at a time. Do you think the Bears have any shot at beating the Green Bay Packers to ensure their playoff spot? Absolutely not. You mentioned the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Browns, whatever it matters. When's the last time the Bears beat the Packers in a game that remotely mattered? I, Aaron Rodgers owns that team. He owns that franchise. And they are absolutely uh, not, you know, it is in Chicago, but they're not going, they're not losing this game, especially not with the one seat on the line. I, I would be, that'd be one of the most stunning results. I think I would have seen in a while if the Packers lose this game. Yeah, they're going to want everybody to come through Lambeau. Uh, I think, as Jace put, I mean, I think Rodgers has a massive investment in, like, Portillo's hot dogs. He owns so much of Chicago (laughs) at this point. Um, So, for me, I'll just go quickly. For me, it comes down to Rams-Cardinals. Jared Goff is reportedly going to play. Now, this could change, as Antonio said, but I am assuming Goff plays. Goff and McVay versus an up-and-down Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury and that Rams defense, I think I'm taking the Rams, which means that no matter what, the Bears go in, if I'm correct on this. So the Bears can lose and go in. So I'm going Rams and Chicago, Mitch Trubisky and Jared Goff in the playoffs, baby, (laughs) um, because the Cardinals can't get that win and end scenario done. Uh, I think the, you know, Kyler Murray was banged up a little bit at the end of that game, but I do, I actually do think Arizona is going to beat the Rams, um, even before he possibly dislocated his thumb, which seems like, you know, the most important bone in your hand if you're a quarterback. (laughs) Um, uh, Jared Goff has, uh, led, leads the NFL in turnovers the last two seasons. He has 38 turnovers in 2019 and 2020. Um, he was not looking especially good. I believe, I think he threw an egregious pick before he possibly dislocated his thumb. Um, 
so he was not looking great. Um, if he, uh, I believe I read, if he's not good to go, their backup is the Wolford Wagon himself, John Wolford uh, of Wake Forest fame. So, and uh, I believe it was in the AAF most recently. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. I don't like their chances with a Jared Goff who turns the ball over all the time anyway, and now might have his hand severely, you know, limited uh, versus um, a guy who's literally never thrown a pass in the NFL. I, I don't like that scenario for the Rams. I do agree with you. The Rams defense is quite good. Um, and they held Seattle relatively under wraps on Sunday, but um, I just, I, I, I still like that scenario for Arizona if it comes to pass. Boy, I'm, I'm torn on this, but I think I'm going to side with Tim. I'm going to go with the LA infrastructure over the cards infrastructure and the bears get lucky in this instance that these games are happening at the same time. Uh, because in any scenario where the Bears game happens first, you know, that changes what the Rams would do in their Cardinals game. So I think uh, Packers beat the Bears. I think Rams beat the Cardinals. And the Bears go in in the seventh seed at 8-8 eight and eight, uh, and then immediately lose in the first round of the playoffs. All right, quickly, just a note on the NFC East disaster. Washington controls their own destiny. If they win they're in if they lose against the eagles then the winner of the giants cowboys game wins the nfc east don't even need opinions on this this has been a disaster but that's just what will happen in the nfc east guys any final thoughts on the nfc east if you would like or the nfl as a whole as we go into one of the more exciting week 17s that that i can remember in a long time yeah first of all great week 17 if you don't have red zone already and you don't have a second tv like, what are you doing? Get on it just for this week because it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you've heard the news by now, but Dwayne Haskins has been cut by the Washington football team, which is what we need to throw in here. I just have a couple of wonderful stats for you. Quote, this comes from John Breach. Quote, Dwayne Haskins is now the sixth QB first round pick over the past decade who didn't make it to the third year with his team. The Browns and Broncos usually have a monopoly on this stuff. Paxton Lynch, Tim Tebow, Brandon Whedon, Johnny Mansell, Josh Rosen. And now Dwayne Haskins and then from Andrew Siciliano of Red Zone fame, Washington has drafted 12 quarterbacks in the first round. Only one of them has a winning record with the franchise. That's Hall of Famer Sammy Ball, who retired in 1952. So <laughs> keep keep doing you football team. Oh I'll just go quickly because I love the I love the football team defense. I really do. I would love to see Chase Young in a playoff game going after Tom Terrific. But they don't have a quarterback. And you know who does have a quarterback? The Dallas Cowboys. I'm picking the Cowboys to beat the Giants and make it to the playoffs. To end up getting smoked by whoever they play next. But I think they're there, gonna represent the there's NFC East. Nothing more, Tim, I want than a six and ten Cowboys team in the playoffs. It'll be so funny. <laughs> like it'll be like mission accomplished from Jerry Jones. <laughs> like hey we won the division uh with like one of our worst seasons ever uh that's the scenario i'm hoping for i actually think the washington does get it done uh um though i want the cowboys to win i do think washington actually because you mentioned that defense is nasty and they just that was what haskins undid for them and why he is currently not employed by the team on Sunday is before he was benched he just was so 
so bad. He was he 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 basically cost them the game. They just the Panthers put twenty points on the board. They just needed competent anything, and I think they would have been in that game. And you know, Taylor Heineke of all people comes in and immediately like leads Washington on a scoring drive. So I think if they just if it's him, if it's Alex Smith, I think against an Eagles team that has been eliminated, is fully ready to pack it in. I think they'll keep Jalen Hurts under wraps, assuming that's who gets the start for the Eagles. Um, And he didn't look great against the Cowboys on Sunday. And so I think they'll keep Hurts under wraps, and the offense will find a way to do just enough to get into the playoffs at 7-9. I'm all with Tim on this one. Uh, (laughs) I don't trust any any sort of unknown quarterback yeah he can flash before there's any tape on him in one you know in one possession one drive but a 60 minute game of is it taylor heineke is that what you just said heineken john heineken what is it yeah 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 taylor heineke i believe he yeah. briefly played for the panthers at some point but i don't fully remember <laughs> i I, I do not have a lot of faith there i'm taking the eagles and then i'm taking the cowboys to go to the postseason at seven and nine mostly so i can try to bring my brother-in-law on this podcast for three minutes on why the Cowboys can sneak into the Super Bowl. So we'll, 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 I hope that happens, and I hope we can bring him on for a three-minute segment. Um, all right, with that, we're going to turn now to the random Raven. I'm going to go this week uh, with maybe not the most challenging random Raven, but one that had an interesting note uh, during the broadcast of, of the game on Sunday, if you guys watched it, and I'll have you guys... Try to guess at the end of the show. So, this random Raven played for the team from 2007 to 2010. This second stat may be enough, but I'll I'll add some more. He is fourth on the Ravens' all-time rushing list with 2,802 yards. In 2007, he set the Ravens' record for seven consecutive games with a rushing touchdown and that stat was brought up because J.K. Dobbins is slowly putting together a touchdown-laden season. He has seven touchdowns as a rookie on the year, and he has five in a row in his last five games. But this random Raven was able to do that in seven consecutive games. And then the most obvious clue, he made his mark with the Buffalo Bills, but went to record his first Pro Bowl with the Ravens in 2007, and he ended his career with the Cleveland Browns in 2013. That is my random Raven for the week, and I will loop back around at the end of the episode for the listener. Uh, I see both of my co-hosts. They, they may have had it at, at uh, factoid number two, but we'll uh, we'll see if uh, they have it at the end of the episode. Still a really good random Raven, though. A guy that is going to be forgot and was a significant part of some very good teams was good of really yeah sort of you thought like the you know twilight of his career type running back but that was not the case he was actually really really good for multiple seasons all right it's preview time it's week 17 the final test for this ravens team that has certainly had ups and downs but has been taking care of business the last month and they have to do it one more time to guarantee themselves a playoff spot it's ravens Bengals. it's the curse of the week 17 game in Cincinnati that seems to happen every two years or even more frequently than that Ravens 11 and a half point favorites against Brandon Allen the Brandon Allen experience here uh we've gone a bit long this episode so let's condense the preview here guys give me a few minutes 
on what you think will happen here with the Ravens offense, with the Ravens defense, and pick a pick that you like for this game with the Ravens as 11.5 point favorites. Yeah, so for me, on offense, it really comes down to this first game, the Ravens offensive approach was very strange. This was the game they won 27-3 to where they just sacked the crap out of Joe Burrow. Uh, but Lamar Jackson, for reasons unexplained, in fairly bad weather, threw it 37 times and completed only 19 passes. Uh, in that game, Mark Ingram had 11 carries. Lamar only rushed twice. Uh, J.K. Dobbins only rushed once. And one time for J.K. Dobbins in the first meeting between these teams. And Gus Edwards only seven carries. That is going to be wildly different. Mark Ingram is not going to see the field. I can't imagine for this game, uh, J.K. Dobbins is going to have much more than one carry. They're not going to have Lamar Jackson throw it 37 times. Uh, keep it simple. Don't, now is not the time to experiment like they were doing in that first game for reasons that still remain baffling to me. Run the ball. Run the ball. <laughs> Use the three-headed monster. A lot of J.K., a lot of Gus Bus. Lamar, get his. Um... That's kind of my key to this game. Just keep it simple. The The first game, I think, you know, Brandon Allen, I don't think he's all that good. He wasn't that great in college, and uh, I always worry about <laughs> the not great college QB. But um, I think his game, he did have a good game Sunday against the Texans, but I think that was kind of a flash of the pan against a very good, or I should say very bad, Texans defense. Um, Ravens are significantly better on the defensive side, so... Um, I think they're going to keep it simple on offense, run the ball, like, kind of with the approach we've seen the last few games. Uh, I think they're going to run. They're going to hopefully get Marcus Peters back, get some turnovers off the Brandon Allen experience, as you said. And I think they're going to win this game, and I am picking them to cover. I think, you know, Jeff Zarebeck mentioned a lot will be said about the 2017 win and in scenario that our dear friend Tim Horsey was at. Uh, they have played the Bengals several times in the final game of the season over the years for reasons that remain unknown. But I think the Lamar teams are different. They have, you know, they've been in this scenario before. They were winning in against Cleveland and came through in the clutch a few years ago. Um, I think they'll do the same. And I, I don't actually even expect it to be that drama filled. I think they take care of business. They cover the 11 and a half. And so I say Ravens win and make the playoffs and if they're not I'll be very sad this time next week <laughs> yeah I mean everything he said it, it this is the Giants game you had to win the Giants <laughs> game to stay alive you have to win this Bengals game to stay alive I don't want to hear anything about the well if they lose and they lose BS because you can't rely on that you have the destiny in your own hands now take it and they play like they did against the Giants they're gonna win this game that being said Last two weeks, I've taken the points. Call it emotional scarring. Call it superstition. Whatever you want to call it, I am taking the Bengals plus 11.5 in this game. The Ravens win. You can, you can tell I'm not a gambler. I'm just a superstitious maniac. The, <laughs> the Bengals lose this game, but let's say they cover the 11.5 and, and make us sweat it out just a little bit. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Bengals, like, covering as the season has gone, has actually been significantly better than the record. So I don't hate that even as a serious gambler, but I'm taking the Ravens. Uh, Brandon Allen had a great game against a team that J.J. Watt thought quit mid-game. He lost all three of his other starts, and the team only scored 7 points, 7 points, and 17 points. 
I think they score right in between those two numbers, and that's not going to be nearly enough with the Ravens pounding it on the ground, having zero offensive turnovers. That's the real goal. There are sirens flashing in the background as I talk here because that's how how important this is, is that we need a zero turnover game here, and I just think it ends up being a, you know, almost a blowout, at least two touchdowns uh, in terms of the final score here. So I'm taking the Ravens minus an 11 and a half. Uh, I'll read through my other picks for this week. Uh, last week went 2-2 two and two with the Ravens and Saints wins. I had a Steelers game that hadn't wrapped up uh, from the week before on a Monday night. So the Steelers, they lost to the Washington football team at the time. And that, uh, or maybe it might have been the Bengals. Excuse me, the Bengals. They lost to the Bengals, which I did not foresee. And then Arizona lost. I lost that pick as well. But went 2-2, two and 25-15 two, and 15 overall. We are still 10 games over 500 for the season. And aside from the Ravens pick, week 17 games, I'm taking the Steelers at plus 7.5. That just sort of ties right into my point that I made with the playoff predictions. I would not take this line, obviously, if Roethlisberger is benched or if they make significant benchings before the game starts, but Seven and a half points seem like free points to me in a game that I think the Steelers will win. So I'm taking the Steelers at plus seven and a half. And then Indianapolis, the game they have to have against what is the worst team in the NFL and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The line is 14. Jacksonville has gotten blown out their last few weeks with them not really trying or caring or having a good team. So I have Indianapolis at minus 14 uh, taking care of business and then maybe or maybe not making it to the postseason. Yeah, I'll just go here quickly. I had the Rams plus two last week. That didn't work out. I had Miami minus two and a half. Also didn't work out even though they won, which is infuriating. Um, I kind of agree with you on the Steelers, but I would like to say even if it is resting guys, I almost think that this game is such a psychological barrier for Cleveland that it's going to become sort of a – they're going to get in their own head because they're going to need the game. Absolutely. And so I'm going to take Steelers plus seven and a half. Like I said before, probably a Browns win, but the Steelers uh, make it close. So I'll take those seven and a half points. And then I'm taking the Cowboys minus two and a half away to the Giants. They have an offense that can contend with the Giants um, defense. As we saw, the Giants defense is not all that it was lived up to be. And, um, I just don't think they're very good, and I think Andy Dalton can get it done in a playoff spot because guess what? I've seen it before, as Jace loves to bring up over and over and over again on this podcast now. Mr. Evans, what do you have this week? So uh, I'm going with the Green Bay Packers minus 5.5. Pretty much for what I mentioned, I do not see a scenario where the Chicago Bears win this game or even where it's all that close. They've regularly embarrassed the Bears in moments that matter. Um and then I am joining Antonio on the Steelers plus seven and a half train, um, mainly because I agree. I think the Steelers are probably going to try more than people think. And even if they don't, I don't hate their chances of uh, this is going to be weird to say. I don't know how big the Mason Rudolph Ben Roethlisberger drop off is these days. Um, so I at least and I, I especially after what we just saw, what the Jets did against the uh against the uh or the browns did against the jets rather i don't know how you can favor them by that many points in any scenario so i'm going with the steelers to at least cover the spread i do think cleveland wins the game but that's for a rivalry game of import even backups no backups i think that's too many points for the browns especially with how they've been playing lately 
So all three of us with zero faith in the Cleveland Browns, as is tradition and as should be in that in that Steelers game. All right, I'm going to read through the random Raven clues quickly one more time and then close this episode out. So this random Raven played for the team from 2007 to 2010. He is fourth on the Ravens' all-time rushing list with 2,802 yards. He, in 2007, he set the Ravens' record for seven consecutive games with a ru- rushing touchdown. He made his mark with the Buffalo Bills, but actually only went to his first Pro Bowl in 2007 with the Ravens and eventually ended his career with the Browns in 2013. Tim, I saw you nodding fairly early through these clues, so I turn to you now. Who is this week's Random Raven? And another clue. I mentioned him earlier in this podcast to test if you were actually listening. Willis McGahee. A a great servant for the Ravens. You know, fourth in rushing with 2,000 yards, I think is what you said. Antonio maybe was a little more than that, but it's still like just the young franchise syndrome. But a quality player for a couple of years there in Baltimore. I was positive that he had gotten a Pro Bowl with the Bills, but alas, not just with the Ravens. So that's what happens. You come to Baltimore and your career uh, flourishes with this organization. But that is the random Raven this week. Uh, I had no memory of him having seven consecutive games with a touchdown, so thought that was worth bringing up after I believe they touched on it during the broadcast on Sunday. Um, That is going to do it for us here. One game left. Ravens fans, one test left for this Ravens team to go 11-5 and and guarantee themselves a spot in the playoffs. We'll be back next week, hopefully very excited to talk about NFL postseason with you. For Jace Evans and Tim Horsey, I'm Antonio Barbera. Thank you, as always, for listening to us here on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.